Good morning. Cheapest, some people came. At like five to nine, I'm thinking, hey, listen, let's go home. We're done, you know. Sheep is yours. It's holiday, it's raining. Ah, should we get out of bed? Should we cross the river? I don't know. I don't know. It's just one of those things. Eh? But it really is cool to see you. And um, we are starting a new series called He Is. He Is. Came out, came out of a prayer time as an eldership team. We were praying and we just began uh, declaring just declaring he is this, he is that, uh, similar to what Jan actually did this morning. You are the Lamb of God. You are just declaring who Jesus is as we bring our focus back onto Jesus, particularly in this season. And it kind of just, Heather said, why, why, don't, we just, why don't we do that? Because we were saying, Lord, what do we do next? What do we do over Christmas? Um, often what happens is you, you kind of go into Christmas season over, over Christmas and you kind of change your, your, you kind of go into Advent season, you know, traditionally. But he just thought, you know what, he is, let's keep him at the center of everything. Let's go into the new year declaring he is and finding out more about who he is. And so I'm going to kick that off this morning with he is salvation. He is salvation. On your, on your chairs, you've got one of these. He is salvation. And the reason why we put that on your chairs is we would love you to write down on there anybody that you trust in God for to be saved over this next season. Talk about salvation. And um, you'll see just now, salvation is more than just spiritual salvation or rescue. It's actually, it starts with the sign and wonder of a, of a healing. We're going to look at Acts chapter 4. So if you trust in God for some radical rescue mission, it might be you, it might be your business, it might be your marriage, it might be somebody's life they haven't given their lives to Jesus and if you've got the faith to do that write that down on here you can turn it on the back just to write some more stuff down and what we're going to do is we're going to as an eldership team pray over every single one of these cards over this next season and trust God to see some radical things happen so that's why this is here and um, are we going to put them on there we're actually going to take these and we're going to put them on there those are blank ones at the moment but we're going to put the, hang them up on there so that as we worship, we can kind of keep those in sight and know that people are trusting God for, for some people to do some things, for God to do some things in their lives over this next season. Thanks. I'm just, okay, getting instructions here. I'll get there, but you put them in here afterwards. There's a basket at the back as well. So afterwards, write down on there, put them in here. And we're just going to be praying over those, over those cards and over those faith expectations that we have over this next season. Okay. Acts chapter 3 and 4. Acts chapter 4. I'm going to read out Acts chapter 4, but the, the story starts in Acts chapter 3. And there's a man who was born lame. And uh, he was 40 years old, we find out in the story. And he was, he, was, he was sitting at, the, at a gate in the temple called the Gate Beautiful. And that Gate Beautiful was the, was the gate between the courts of the Gentiles, which was the busiest court of the temple because everybody could be in there. They, just, they didn't have to have special ritualistic kind of things. They just had to have some decorum and have some manners and you could be there. And this was the, the gate between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the woman. And this, this man had been sitting there for a long time. 
He was crippled. He, was, he, was, he relied on other people for resource. And there's a, there's a moment where Peter and John are walking through the temple and they see this man sitting there. And this man asks them for money. And Peter says to him, look at me. The man looks at them expecting them to give him something. It says in Acts chapter 3. And Peter says, I don't have anything to give you. Silver and gold I don't have. I don't have money for you. But what I do have, I give to you. Stand up and walk. Amazing, amazing moment. This man has been there for, listen, he's 40 years old. He's probably been there for most of his life waiting, asking for money. He's been there a long time. When suddenly that man who everybody's walked past, the, the, the scriptures we'll read now talks about it as being a notable miracle. Notable meaning everybody knows about it. It's like uh, this guy that used to be, every, hang on, you're walking around. It says he got up and he, he as they took his hands, God strengthened his ankles and his legs and he began walking and praising and leaping God, and, and praising and worshiping God. And everybody's like, hang on, we know this guy. This guy used to be here. What's happened? What's happened? And Peter preaches a, a sermon to them about Jesus. And uh, that heads into Acts chapter 4, which we will, we will now read. Acts chapter 4. In response to this moment, there's a group of people that are in charge of the temple. They're called Sadducees. And um, they're a difficult group of people. They're different to the Pharisees. They had different theology to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were more the populist kind of um, group. They kind of, they, but the Sadducees, the difference, between, one of the big differences between them was that the Sadducees cooperated with the Romans as long as they, as long as they kind of could keep the peace and as long as they kind of, they did all that, the Romans were happy with them. But they also had theology where they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead and they, they didn't believe in, the, in, in quite a few things that were kind of very common in the, in the pharisaical mind of, of thinking, theologically. And so what happens was, is now they see this happening, and of course we're going to see now, they start preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. And straight away, whoop, resurrection of Jesus, problem. Number two, you're causing a stir here. We don't need the Romans to come and ask questions. The Romans gave them authority. It's like they could have their own courts. They could have their own thing. They could make their own judgments. In fact, they could even sentence people to death. They couldn't kill them, but they could sentence them. And as long as they towed the line, it was good. So this, this is this group of people that are now, they're starting to talk about here in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. P Peter and John are speaking to the people. You read it in Acts chapter 3, talking about Jesus, the inheritance that God has done and given them in Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is all of these, these things. Verse 2. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Ah, there's that problem. They seized Peter and John because it was evening, because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. 
So the number of men who, who believed grew to about 5,000. So Peter, Peter and John are preaching. They've seen this radical miracle now. Peter and John are preaching. They're preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. There's a stir being created. People are asking questions. They come and they seize them. They say, listen, and the reason why they seize them is they want them to, to take them and stand before a court, their court. And it was a bit late in the day, so the court couldn't meet then. So we had to wait for the next day. And one of the things that they were going to do was that they were going to judge them on Deuteronomy chapter 13. And Deuteronomy chapter 13, sorry, I'm giving you a bit of background here. Deuteronomy chapter 13 says this. It says, if, if somebody, a prophet comes and do, does an amazing sign and wonder, heals somebody, and then, and then stops you, and then as they do that, they start to take you away from Yahweh, away from God, you to stone them. So in other words, a sign and a wonder was not the issue, the, the, the big thing for them. The big issue was, did that lead to the worship of God? And so they wanted to hold them to account in this. Where does this lead? This sign and wonder. Okay, you've done an amazing sign and wonder, but where does it take you? Does it take you to God or does it take you away from God? And so they kind of had a legitimate ask or a, a reason to kind of want to speak to these guys. But I think it was deeper than this. I think there was a whole bunch of insecurities and all sorts of other things attached to this. But what's amazing is they seize Peter and John and they put them in jail but the word that has been preached beforehand people are still getting saved how's that you see the seeds and the words that they started preaching in Acts chapter 3 while they in prison it says and many people were getting saved many people started believing the message about Jesus the next day the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem now they convene their Sanhedrin their, their court and as the high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name do you do this? Their big thing is, who gave you authority to do this? How do you do this? In what name? By whose name do you do this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Amazing, eh? Yeah, there's a scripture that says, when you stand before kings... To testify about your faith, don't worry about what you're going to say because I will give you the words to say. That doesn't mean we don't study and we don't read the scriptures and we just trust God to, we don't prepare. That's not what it's talking about. But what it's saying is it's saying when you're in a moment where you can minister the love and the, per and the person of Jesus, don't worry about it, I will give you the words to say. And this is one of those moments and it says Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers and elders of the people, exclamation mark. So he didn't say, hey guys, you rulers and elders, how are you? He stands up and he says, rulers and elders of the people. This is a fisherman talking to the aristocracy of the moment. To the high up guys. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, then know this. We've been called to account for doing something good and seeing a man that was born lame set free. Know this. You and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is very specific. 
Remember, Christ was not his surname. Jesus was a name that lots of people had the name Jesus. But this is Jesus, the Messiah of Nazareth, the one that you know. The one that's been causing all the trouble all the way along. You know the guys that you're upset about? Him. I just want you to know, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. See, it's by this man's name. You know the guy that you killed? Maybe the last time somebody sat in the Sanhedrin for judgment was him. Remember that guy that you sentenced, that you, sought, you, you killed, that you sent to the, to the cross. That you killed, but God raised to life again. See, what we do is not as important as what God does. That man stands before you healed. It's because of that name that he stands before you healed. Jesus, the stone you build is rejected, which has become the cornerstone. You know the one, that stone that was considered of no value, not useful for anything in the building, rejected by the builders. This is Psalm 118 he's quoting. It says, you, when you're doing a building project and you find a rock or a stone that you think can't be used anywhere, you discard it. But that discarded rock that you disposed of has now become the most important stone in the building. It's become the cornerstone. The capstone. It's the stone in which the whole building takes its shape from. It is the most prominent stone. It is the stone that finishes the building, that starts the building. It is the most important stone in the building. It says that Jesus is that stone. Remember now, he hasn't planned this preacher, by the way. Friends, you've got to trust the Spirit of God in you to speak the words that he gives you. You don't have to quote scripture. You have to quote the idea, the, 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 the truth of scripture. In words that will minister to people, that people can understand. These are words that these guys can fully understand. They know Psalm 180. They've memorized it. They can quote it. Verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under, the, under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name in heaven, under heaven, given to mankind by which we can be saved. So it's quite interesting. This is healing. Now he's talking about salvation. So he's gone from healing to salvation. Quite curious. Because salvation means, the Greek word that is used there, means to be rescued. It means to be taken from extreme danger and put back into safety. And one of the great signs of that happening in our relationship with God and in our eternity with God is the signs and wonders that point to that great rescue. See, the rescue of your body from sickness is a beautiful thing. It's part of the rescuing power of God. That's why when we write things on here, if you're desperately sick and needing healing, put it on here. It's part of salvation. We trust God for that. 
We keep trusting God for healing. We keep trusting God for these signs that point to our ultimate rescue in Him. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They looked at these guys and thought, who are you? What family do you come from? What heritage do you come from? What culture do you come from? How much money do you have? What education do you have? What school have you been to? What area do you live in? They recognize this about them, that they're ordinary. But they knew this, they were companions of Jesus. So they're preaching about Jesus. They're ordinary, and we know you've been with Jesus. We know that you are with Jesus, so there's firsthand. So obviously when you're talking about this, it's giving credibility to the message that they have been preaching. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Every, everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. I'm trusting God for notable signs. They point to salvation. We've got to trust God for notable salvations. Notable signs. Signs and wonders and miracles are the notable signs that part of the salvation that preached that, that preach towards, that show towards, that direct towards this incredible salvation that we have in Christ. But to, stop it, but to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. They're scared of this name. This name is disrupting their theological paradigms. This name is causing disruption in their theology, in the city. It's uncomfortable for them. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in Jesus' name. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judge. You be the judges. So what must we do? Must we listen to you, Sadducees, or must we listen to God? What would you do? You be the judges. They know that you must listen to God. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Wow. They've had an experience with Jesus that's so profound, they cannot do anything else. Even when they're under threat. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all of the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. A couple of quick points around this. He is salvation. Friends, this is so simple and so basic. I want to remind you of this simple, basic foundation that is part of our lives. He is our salvation. He is. The first thing is that Peter declares Jesus 
as the only way to salvation. Friends, that's not a popular message today. It wasn't a popular message then either. He doesn't, he doesn't mess around with these words. He doesn't say that Jesus is a way to salvation. He says Jesus is the only way to salvation. Remember what salvation is? Rescue. Saved from. Saved for. It's this idea of being rescued from danger and putting back into a safe place. There's only one way that we get to the safe place, friends. It's in the name of Jesus. There's no salvation in anyone, he says. In no other person. There's no other name. There's no other person that by which we are saved other than Jesus, including you and me and our performance and our works. There's no other name. The, the name of Stan can't save Stan. You can't save yourself. There's no self-help project that can save you. There's no educational system that can save us. There's no human project that can save us. There's no ancient formula going back a thousand years that can save us. It always will be and it always has been the name of Jesus that saves. I know you know this, but we need to be reminded of this. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other authority that has the right to save, to rescue, and rescue completely and fully. There's no other name, friends. If you're looking for some other way, there is no other way. My prayer for this morning is that we would again get hold of the saving person of Jesus and put our arms around him and hold him and never let him go. There's no other authority. He is the only authority that can save. And you know what? We can believe that all are saved. We can believe that there are many roads to heaven. You can believe that you can take the best of all the faith, put them together and come up with a super faith. However, that's not the teaching of the scriptures. There's no rescue in anything else or anybody else except Jesus. When you're in trouble, run to Jesus. When you're in trouble, cling to Jesus. When you need rescuing, run to him and hold him. Don't run away from him. That's the first thing. Jesus is the only way. You know, friends, over the last couple of weeks, I've been speaking to people that are struggling, wrestling with their faith, ended up in a bad place, trying to figure out what to do next and kind of... Friends, psychological help will help you if it takes you to the Savior, Jesus. If it doesn't land in Jesus, there isn't rescue there. 
We need Jesus to rescue us. This is so simple. But you know what, friends? The lines of this gets blurred in the life of the church, in the world that we're in, with all these things, competing, competing voices, competing authorities. I want to tell you there's no other person, there's no other name above the name of Jesus by which you can be saved, by which you can be rescued. The next one is this. Jesus is the cornerstone. And I want to ask us the question, is Jesus the cornerstone of your life? Is Jesus the cornerstone? Or is he an optional stone? In a world that is so divided, friends, it becomes Jesus plus. And I've said this before, whatever comes alongside Jesus will eventually take the place of Jesus. It's Jesus all in, or Jesus nothing. I want to say to you, Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the capstone. And, we, and when we're in a good place, Jesus, you are everything. We surrender all. And when things are not going out well, where are you, Lord? Friends, Jesus is the cornerstone. It's so easy, it's so easy to despise and reject the stone that God wants to be at the center of our lives. The most important stone of our lives is Jesus. He is the rock. I'm sure somebody will preach. He is the rock. He is the very ground, this firm ground on which we stand. He is the one we turn to when we're in trouble. He is the one that we turn to to say thank you when we're in joy and adoration. He is, he is the most important rock stone in our lives. He is the cornerstone. He is the capstone. He starts the building and finishes the building. He is the head. He is the chief stone, some translations will say. Is Jesus the chief stone of the building of your life? Going into Christmas, Kumbaya, is Jesus the cornerstone? Is Jesus the chief stone of our lives? Can we live without Jesus? Can we do life without Jesus? I've come to realize I can't. I'm too broken, I'm too weak, I'm too disfigured, I'm too valuable in God's sight to do life without Jesus. The reason why we're praying for these people, that these people, these new salvations, is currently they're doing life without Jesus. They've discarded the most important thing in their lives to, another, to a pile of rubble somewhere else along with a whole bunch of other stuff. And they're paying the price because Jesus is not the center. They've lost joy, lost hope. Faith is in everything else except the king. Number three. Number one, there's no other name. Number two, and he is the cornerstone. Number three. These Sadducees had a problem with Jesus when he was alive, so they killed him. I want to tell you, friends, they've just realized in this text 
have now got a bigger problem than Jesus. Because you've got a whole bunch of people filled with Jesus running around the city causing chaos. You see, he is our rescue. But he, everything that Jesus does for us is so that we can do for others. He is my salvation so I can be a source and a carrier of salvation. Now these Sadducees are absolutely flummoxed. We thought we had got rid of Jesus. No, you see what happens is if a seed dies, it leads to multiple fruitfulness in the kingdom of God. And what happens is the ultimate seed has died and it's borne fruit in all of these lives all over the place. And it was like Jesus multiplied himself instantly. He is our salvation. We are the carriers of that salvation. I want to remind you of these very basic things. And what's incredible with this group of people is that the evidence of their lives cannot be denied. They know that they'd been, they can see, they knew they'd been with Jesus. They saw them with Jesus. They knew they were companions with Jesus. They see a man that's healed that was lame for 40 years. The evidence of their lives represents everything that they're speaking about. You see, when we say, he is my salvation, what happens is, is that he becomes the salvation that flows through us, not just to us. You see, friends, the only, the, the people around us, the only Jesus that they will see is the Jesus that you and I bring to them. Over Christmas, we're going into families and in and, and different spaces. We've got to be the Jesus that our family doesn't know by the evidence of our lives, by the intimacy of our lives with him. These guys are amazed at their courage. Isn't it incredible? They're incredibly amazed that these lowly people would stand up to them and speak. It absolutely, friends, courage in the midst of a moment is the difference between the moment happening or not. They could easily have just shrunk back. But Peter, filled with the Spirit, stands up. And the, it's the courage, it's the courage that astounds these, these Sadducees. Friends, we've got to be a people of faith, but we've also got to be a people of courage if we understand the Savior, Jesus. They're also amazed at their ordinariness. Uneducated, unschooled, no seminary degrees. Friends, it's the lack of qualification. It's the seemingly simplistic ordinariness of our lives that ministers to people most powerfully. Friends, our job is to take this incredible Jesus 
be with him and allow him to flow through us. That's the church. When we say he is salvation, it means allow, allow your ordinariness to be used by Jesus. You don't have to have spent three days praying and fasting before a moment in God. You walk with him all the time. You have your moments of intimacy with him, but then you have your moments of ministry with it through you and to you. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, got up and spoke. Do you believe that you can be that person? Or, or do we say, you know what? I, don't, I haven't read the Bible enough. I can't read. What about, I just, I'm not qualified. What about, you know, you should have seen what I did yesterday. You know, Jesus saw what you did yesterday. Sort it out with him and move on because God wants you to use you to minister to people. There's no excuse, friends. He is salvation. Be used by God to bring others to him. Be the Jesus that people need to see. And they're amazed at the evidence of their lives. A man standing, you can't argue with fruitfulness. Allow God to cultivate our lives. Put him back, put him back where the cornerstone belongs, where the chief stone, the headstone belongs. And allow the fruitfulness of our life to be a evidence to those that Jesus loves them and Jesus exists. You and me, friends, are Peter and John. We call them Saint Peter and Saint John in church tradition. But that actually you and I are also saint and our name. Jesus talks about us being saints holy ones, set apart ones, consecrated ones. Friends, I want to I I put into our lives this morning, into our hearts this morning, that he is our salvation. Run to him when you need him. Run to him, be with him. Don't run away from him when things get tough. Don't get cross with him. Make sure he is the cornerstone of your life. People can't argue with the evidence of Jesus in your life. When people look at our lives, do they look at us and say, that person's been with Jesus? Do they look at us and think, oh my gosh, does that guy still say he goes to church? When people look at our lives, do they say, man, that person is not scared of anybody else. He will only do what God does. He's got a fear of God or that she's got a fear of God. There's a loyalty to God above all else. Friends, what's happening is we're drifting into the gray zone in our walk with Jesus. We're neither hot nor cold. I want to say to us, He is our salvation. He is our salvation. Jesus is our salvation. It's not hot or cold. It's not war. It's not lukewarm. It's on all the time. And we drift into this kind of gray religious zone where we go through the motions. 
And if we believe Jesus is the salvation and he is the only name and the only way and the only authority, do we, put the, do we order the rest of our lives around the chief cornerstone? Or do we let busyness and the world order ourselves and then fit Jesus where we can? Which is what so many of us are prone to do, including myself. You see, Jesus is not ornamental. He's fundamental to our lives. I've said this before. Ornament, ornaments are for the mantelpiece. Call it Christ, mantelpiece Christianity. You've got a picture of Jesus, a picture of Jesus that probably doesn't look like Jesus on the mantelpiece, that he actually looked like. We've got praying hands, you know those, on the mantelpiece. Alongside Granny's ashes, And all the photos that remind you of what you were young when you were playing sport and all the trophies are all on the mantelpiece. And somehow Jesus is on that mantelpiece. So that when people walk into our, into our homes, you think, oh, okay, Christian home. No, friends, Jesus is meant to be built into the brick and mortar of our lives, not on the mantelpiece of our lives. He is our salvation. I loved, I love this point, this thing, what it says here. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. You see, this kind of life, friends, does, it comes from experience with God. It doesn't come from listening to a hundred sermons or reading a hundred books. It, it, it comes from the reality of a relationship with the Savior. It comes from a moment with God where he speaks to you and you know that he's spoken to you, even when you, th- when you haven't got a theology of how to hear God. It's, it comes because Jesus is running after you and being with you more than what you want to be with him. I want to say to us, friends, He is our salvation. And we put him first. And we make him the chief cornerstone. And we make our experience with him, our walk with him, the most important thing of our lives. Friends, if he is salvation, and if, if if the Bible is true, then he has got to be the most important thing in our lives. I mean, is that like complicated? Like, this is either an eternal truth or it isn't. But yet we so easily drift from him. I'm trusting God that as we preach this series, we're going to get to know him profoundly more. And as each preacher gets up, a little, another brick in the building will be built of the house of Jesus. So that we can come through this series with a passion where Jesus has put in his rightful place in our lives.